Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fantasy Consigliere Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Chapin. Coming off a of chaotic week nine, let's jump right into the week 10 slate, starting with Ravens at Dolphins on Thursday night. On the injury front, Baltimore could again be without Latavius Murray in the backfield, which would set up Devontae Freeman and Le'Veon Bell to be flex options. And Sammy Watkins, although I expect him to play, not suiting up again, will allow Rashad Bateman to be a strong flex against a Dolphins defense that hasn't been great against the pass. If Murray does end up playing, he'd be a low-end RB2 flex option. But if not, Freeman is probably the guy, and I currently have him ranked in the top 30 at running back. For the other backfield, Miles Gaskin handled 26 touches from Miami, and although he was limited to 34 rushing yards on 20 attempts, the Dolphins have pivoted towards him as a clear lead back since returning from London with touch totals of 19, 15, and 26 over the past three games. Baltimore hasn't been great against the run, so Gaskin should be a volume-based RB2 option. For the passing attack of the Dolphins, it sounds like Tua Tagovailoa could be out another week with a finger injury, but Jacoby Brissett is good enough to get the ball to Mike Kosicki and Jalen Waddle. Baltimore is allowing the second-most fantasy points per game to opposing tight ends, so I have Kosicki as my tight end four for Week 10, and I like his chances to find the end zone for the third time of the year. Long-term, with Deshaun Watson not ending up in Miami this season, Will Fuller probably doesn't need to be held in redraft leagues. Moving on to Sunday, starting with Bills at Jets. Josh Allen was one of many disappointments last week around the league, but Buffalo is way too smart to not figure out a way to turn it on offensively. With the cover two, shell coverage they faced last week against Jacksonville, look for Cole Beasley to work more underneath, and I can see Devin Singletary having a solid game, working the outside zone plays if the Bills try to have more balance than they've had recently. Singletary is available in quite a few leagues, so he's worth a look. If you need help at running back in week 10 for the jets it sounds like mike white will start under center but he's unfortunately returning to a tough matchup versus buffalo's league best pass defense new york should at least get Corey davis back wide receiver and second round pick elijah moore who caught seven passes for 84 yards and two touchdowns last thursday night is firmly on the flex radar even in a tough matchup based on his combination of talent and increasing opportunity i expect the jets will use davis and moore as their top two wideouts the rest of the way next up tampa bay at washington Tom Brady is my top quarterback play of Week 10, even with the expectation that Antonio Brown might miss another game. That leads to Chris Godwin being ranked as my wide receiver 2, and Mike Evans as my wide receiver 8. As Washington, unless they somehow get the pass rush going, coming out of the bye, likely won't be able to cover the star wideouts. At tight end, there is hope Rob Gronkowski will be back, and he'd be a must-start if so. Also, the Bucks might get Scotty Miller back on Sunday, and he'll be worth looking into as a big play flyer in DFS lineups. Washington is also getting reinforcements on offense, with at least Logan Thomas expected to return, and he should be rostered in all leagues as a potential tight end one option down the stretch. As far as the running game, Antonio Gibson is a hopeful RB2 option, but expectations should be tempered for a tough matchup, and Jarrett Patterson was notably getting work before the bye. Hopefully the week off has Gibson looking more like himself, but this probably won't be the spot for a big game. Now for another NFC South versus NFC East matchup, Falcons at Cowboys. Matt Ryan was excellent last week with 343 passing yards and two touchdowns against the Saints. Now I like his chances to stay hot in a probable shootout. No Calvin Ridley hurts, but Ryan's an extremely accurate quarterback, and he's showing the Falcons shouldn't be counted out. I like him as a low-end QB1. For the Cowboys, last week was a throw-out-the-tape game, and you should obviously continue playing the studs. That said, I think we could see more balance, and in turn, less passing, even if Michael Gallup returns, as the Cowboys have been at their best, featuring Elliott and Tony Pollard playing strong defense, so we'll see if they can pick that back up on Sunday. Overall, I say this game is pretty self-explanatory, 
if you have Cordero Patterson and Kyle Pitts are playing them for the Falcons and the studs for Dallas, Dak, Elliott, CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper should all bounce back. And Tony Pollard is worth considering as a standalone flex option. Next up, Saints at Titans. Sean Payton sounds like he'll drag out his quarterback decision to keep Tennessee guessing. But even if it's not this week, I'd expect eventually Taysom Hill will take over as a starter. Last week, Hill completed both of his passes for 33 yards, and I believe he leads the league in completion percentage since the start of 2019 or 2020. Either way, he's acquitted himself well at the controls of Peyton's offense, and the rushing upside makes him a clear QB1 option if and when he enters a starting lineup. At wide receiver, I guess New Orleans will be an option for Odell Beckham Jr., but I think a team I'll get to later will be the one to either claim or sign him. So Marquez Callaway, who scored a touchdown last week, will likely be the number one wideout the rest of the way. Drake Watt Smith would have been a better fit with Jameis Winston, so I'm low on him with either Simeon or Hill under center. On the Tennessee offense, I know Chris Collinsworth was complaining about the way Adrian Peterson ran last week, but he's always been an upright runner. And the most encouraging part of the performance was the fact that Tennessee didn't hesitate to give him touches. He handled 10 carries and caught a pass after just a few days with the team, so Peterson should be viewed as an RB2 option the rest of the way. This week will be tough against the Saints, so downgrade him some. We'll have the goal line carries in the offense, and boxes won't be as stacked as they were for Derrick Henry with A.J. Brown and Julio Jones on the outside. Also, I think we'll continue to see Ryan Tannehill use his legs more, and there are some easier matchups coming up on the schedule. Next week versus Houston, then week 14 versus Jacksonville, week 16 versus San Francisco, all games at home. So Tannehill could be someone to consider mixing and matching depending on matchups with another borderline QB1 option. Going to another couple of teams in the AFC South, Jacksonville, Indianapolis. Jonathan Taylor is again the overall RB1 option in the Week 10 rankings. He had 33 fantasy points last week in half PPR leagues. The Colts sitting at 4-5 and five should know that Taylor needs to be featured every week. And the hopeful return of T.Y. Hilton could open things up even more. Still, Indy loves to throw the ball, so one should be a top 15 play at quarterback. Jacksonville limited the Bills last week, but Indy's balance will lead to them needing to play different coverage than they did against Buffalo. For the Jaguars offense, James Robinson sounds like he'll be back, and he's probably the only guy to consider for this road matchup. LaBisca Chenault hasn't been great, moving to the outside more. Marvin Jones hasn't really seen an uptick in targets or production with DJ Chark out. It's actually decreased, so if possible, it's probably best to look elsewhere. And the schedule in general doesn't get much lighter for Jacksonville. The schedule also doesn't get lighter for Detroit. They take on the Steelers this week, and then next week have to take on the Browns. Jared Goff will fortunately get Taylor Decker back at left tackle. Penace will moving back to the right side, but the weapons on the outside simply aren't high enough caliber for Goff to be successful. We know wide receivers always deep, and you're probably better off going with someone in a more explosive offense. So DeAndre Swift... Jamal Williams, if healthy, and TJ Hawkinson are really the only lines worth starting. For the Steelers, Najee Harris is looking like a every-week top-five consideration at running back. He's our RB4 on Sunday. The Lions would be a team that they could maybe blow out, but Pittsburgh isn't really built to blow teams out, so Harris should see a heavy workload. And I also like Deontay Johnson to bounce back following a quiet game on Monday night. Overall, he's not a great matchup for Detroit's cornerback group, so Deontay should be a high upside wide receiver too. Behind him, Pat Frymuth has turned into Big Ben's favorite target. Chase Claypool is dealing with some sort of injury that happened on Monday night. Even if he plays, Frymuth has turned into the preferred target in scoring territory. 
So like Kyle Pitts, he's a rare rookie tight end to be worth tight end one consideration almost every week. And that will be the case on Sunday. Now for the final 1 p.m. game, Browns at Patriots. News came out that Nick Chubb and Demetri Felton have been placed on the COVID list. Chubb will have a chance to get cleared and play on Sunday if he could get two negative tests 24 hours apart. But the way protocols have gone, I'd say that's unlikely. If it was up to me, the whole pandemic would be over. They wouldn't test or anything, but I won't get into that. On the field, Dearness Johnson is likely in line to be the lead back for Cleveland. He'd be a definite top 15 option, if not an RB1. But overall, without Chubb, the offense could be severely undermanned. I'm sure Bill Belichick won't let Jarvis Landry beat them. They'll be on alert for Donovan Peoples-Jones against the deep ball. So it'd be unfortunate to have the COVID issue lead to Chubb missing a big game in the AFC. New England could also be limited at running back if Damian Harris, who exited with a head injury, and Ramondre Stevenson, who was in the concussion protocol, are both unable to go, but there's really no reason to expect they won't play on Sunday. And the Patriots will likely use a run-heavy attack once again. Harris remains a weekly RB2, but Stevenson could be picked up as a handcuffer down the stretch, and he also has standalone flex value. Also, I'm going to throw out a little prediction here for Jacoby Myers. I'll say he scores a touchdown for the first time in his career. The third-year wideout currently has the most yards in NFL history, like 1,500, I believe, without scoring a touchdown. And I'll say that finally ends on Sunday against the Browns. Starting the late slate, Vikings at Chargers. This is an obvious blow-up spot for Dalvin Cook. He's my RB2 for the week. Los Angeles is allowing the most rushing yards per game in the league. And Minnesota, at 3-5, and five, needs to commit to the run to turn things around. I'm less optimistic about Kirk Cousins and the passing attack. Justin Jefferson remains the wide receiver one option, but the Chargers are much more stingy against the pass. The hope is they'll have Asante Samuel Jr. back. And the way Dalvin Cook can get going, along with L.A. struggles stopping the run, could result in a low-volume passing attack for Cousins this week. For the Chargers, Mike Williams was the only by-low candidate that I mentioned last week that didn't immediately pan out, but that just makes him even better of a target. Since the Vikings lost Patrick Peterson, they've really struggled to contain perimeter wideouts in two games, allowing eight receptions, 122 yards, and a touchdown to Amari Cooper, six receptions for 112 yards versus C.D. Lamb, three receptions for 84 yards and a touchdown to Cedric Wilson, and last week, nine receptions for 116 yards to Marquise Brown. Most of the experts have lowered Williams to being a low-end wide receiver too, but I still have him as a top 10 option, and this could be the last chance to buy low on him as we hit the middle of November. Last week, Williams only had two receptions, but he was targeted in the end zone, outside the end zone. He connected on the big play, so it's not like the opportunities have suddenly fallen off since the hot start. I'm anticipating a huge day on Sunday. And along with that, Justin Herbert should again be a top five option at quarterback. Not many had him in the top five last week. We did on WolfSports.com, but he was much more sharp coming off a tough game against New England. And hopefully that carries into next week and beyond. Next game, Panthers at Cardinals. Arizona was able to win with Colt McCoy under center last week. That could lead to them really making sure that Kyler Murray is fully healthy for a hopeful playoff run. But if he does play, Murray, I would say, gets a slight downgrade. Might be less mobile than usual, and the Panthers still have a tough defense, especially with Stephon Gilmore at quarterback, who could see a lot of DeAndre Hopkins if Hopkins is clear to play on Sunday. So I'd be lower if they return on both Murray and Hopkins compared to their usual outlooks. For running back, obviously much higher on James Conner. He's an RB1 play. He has the league lead in touchdowns through nine weeks. Also for deeper leagues, don't sleep on Eno Benjamin. I liked him coming out of Arizona State. 
He hasn't really gotten a shot, but he did last week and promptly trucked a defender for his first career touchdown. Benjamin is a similar player to Chase Edmonds, and I don't think the Cardinals will want to overwork Connor. So the second year back is on the flex radar. For Carolina, they're just really struggling offensively. Sam Darnold can't take care of the ball. Kind of surprising they already haven't turned to P.J. Walker. Doesn't sound like they will unless Darnold is not healthy with the shoulder injury. But Robbie Anderson can't be trusted in lineups. D.J. Moore needs to be downgraded to being a low-end wide receiver too. And Christian McCaffrey is probably the only guy you can start confidently. I would think they'll use more of those running back options out of the backfield after they worked down the stretch versus New England last week. I don't know why they got away from it or didn't use it early. But McCaffrey should be back to being a high-end RB1 option. Moving on, Eagles at Broncos. Jalen Hurts hasn't been able to have that fourth-quarter magic over the past two games. They were close last week, able to run the ball. And two weeks ago, they obviously played from ahead in their blowout win over Detroit. But this week, I could see the Broncos having trouble defending both the run in terms of the running backs, Jordan Howard and Boston Scott, and then Hurts getting on the edge for the zone read keepers or quarterback scrambles. Also, the Broncos won't have rookie Patrick Sertan at cornerback, so I'm hopeful that Hurts can get back to over 20 fantasy points after back-to-back quieter games. For Denver's offense, they made it a point to try to get Jerry Judy going last week, but his big play effectiveness has dropped compared to his rookie season when he averaged 16.5 yards per reception. Now he's averaging just 11.3 yards per reception. The Eagles can be prone to chunk plays, but something tells me Tim Patrick might be the guy to make some plays against them, and Judy could contend with Darius Slay, so that's something to keep in mind. For the running game, Javante Williams had his first 100-yard day last week, 17 carries for 111 yards, but Melvin Gordon actually handled more touches, 21 carries for 80 yards and a touchdown, so it looks like this is going to remain a split. I mentioned last week maybe Gordon could be traded or Denver could simply give the rookie more touches, but they're sitting at 5-4 and four now after a big win over Dallas, and Vic Fangio probably won't be unleashing Williams completely with the Broncos right in the AFC West race. That said, both Gordon and Williams are talented players, and they're both ranked as RB2 options once again. For the Philadelphia running backs, as stated, I could see the linebackers having trouble distinguishing some of the zone read keeper stuff. So Jordan Howard should be viewed as a low-end RB2 flex option, and hopefully the Eagles stick with him even when Miles Sanders is ready to return in a couple of weeks. For the final 4 p.m. game, Seahawks at Packers. Seattle is getting serious reinforcements in Russell Wilson, potentially rookie D. Eskridge, and hopefully Chris Carson with his neck injury. Wilson obviously play him as a QB1 this week and the rest of the way. And I'm optimistic about Carson. He sounds determined to get back on the field. I know neck injuries are tricky, but the fact that he's even returning to the practice field on Wednesday is a great sign. And if they're the team to get Odo Buckham Jr., then that will really open up some rushing lanes for Carson or Alex Collins or whoever's getting touches. So if you're open to taking a risk, Carson could be a strong buy-low option as a hopeful RB2 down the stretch. For Beckham, we're still a few hours away from waivers. By the time the episode is released, we'll probably have an idea if he was claimed or not or where he might land, but I wouldn't be worried about his impact on DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett. So overall, it's probably just good news for Wilson and Carson to have OBJ in the lineup if he indeed becomes a Seahawk. For the Packers, Aaron Rodgers will likely be back, it seems, 
he won't be able to return to the team until Saturday, but Matt LaFleur has said if he is cleared, he's going to start, and that's no surprise at all. So he wouldn't need to be right back in the QB1 ranks. If you're in a league where someone is upset about the Rodgers situation, as far as him saying he's been immunized, even though he's not vaccinated, then I'd take advantage of that and try to trade for him. Rodgers will be a QB1 down the stretch, and the changing public opinion could be an opportunity to take advantage of. This week, if Rodgers plays, Devontae Adams should be back as the overall wide receiver one in the rankings. And you can also feel better about the other guys like Marquez Valdez-Gantling or Randall Cobb in lineups. For Sunday Night Football, Chiefs at Raiders. I said a couple of weeks ago not to panic on Kansas City, but that was probably wrong. Patrick Mahomes doesn't look like the quarterback that he was the past three years, but really all you can do is downgrade them some. I have Darren Waller as a better play on Sunday night over Travis Kelsey. Patrick Mahomes isn't in the top five at quarterback, and while I still have Tyree Kill in the top five at wide receiver, he's averaging just 11.4 yards per reception this season, which is really a big signal as to Kansas City's offense not being what it was over the past three seasons. At running back, you should be able to again roll with Daryl Williams if Clyde edwards Elair isn't back. Williams handled 19 carries last week, ran hard. It was difficult sledding versus Green Bay's underrated defense, but it was still an encouraging performance for Williams. For the Raiders, I have Derek Carr as a top 10 option at quarterback. He's had some big games against the Chiefs, including last season when he had 347 yards and three touchdowns and then 275 yards and three touchdowns in the two matchups with an interception in each game. Plus, having a Sean Jackson to stretch the defense should boost the outlook for everyone. Carr will have upside on deep ball opportunities. Waller will get more favorable coverage underneath. Lighter boxes for the running backs. Brian Edwards will have less pressure on him. And Hunter Renfro will also have more space underneath. Although for Renfro, I think he's ranked as a top 30 option by the consensus as of Tuesday morning. I think that's rich. He hasn't really done much against the Chiefs. And there are probably guys to target with more upside than him. To conclude Week 8, Monday Night Football Rams at 49ers. The Niners have won four straight games against the Rams. I know this is a different San Francisco team. I'm personally convinced that Kyle Shanahan wanted to draft Mac Jones and was somehow convinced not to. And that seemed to put a drain on him this season. It's strange that they activated Jeff Wilson last week. And I don't think he even played a snap. He definitely didn't get a touch. So that's good news for Elijah Mitchell's rest of season outlook. Trey Sermon was inactive. We'll see if there's more of a split with Mitchell and Jeff Wilson in future weeks. But for now, Mitchell's probably the only running back you could start. I guess I continue to have a sentimental weakness for Trey Sermon, but even I could admit redraft value is not looking likely. I know in a previous episode I mentioned how he's been studying Alfred Morris. So for Dynasty owners, I know a lot of people are even dropping him there. The hope is next season with Trey Lance being the quarterback will lead to a shifted offense with more between the tackles runs for Sermon, but that's probably optimistic and we'll see what happens. For the wideouts, Brandon Ayuk emerged last week. He's been more involved the past two weeks and he should probably be rostered in all leagues after a slow start. Apparently practice habits were a big reason Ayuk struggled to get on the field early, but we can see him have a strong second half for sure. Los Angeles, again, the Rams have lost four straight to San Francisco. Sean McVay's offense has struggled versus the Niners for whatever reason. It's interesting, the balance between what Stafford wants to do, more traditional drop-back passing with McVay's 
usual rollout and basically the Shanahan offense. So it wouldn't be surprised if Stafford's poor play from last week carried over. And I have him viewed as more of a low-end QB1 than mid-range QB1 for this week. Also notable that Cooper Cup has done almost nothing versus San Francisco throughout his career. His best game was, in terms of yardage, was last year's November matchup when he had two receptions for 41 yards. He only had one touchdown in five matchups. So you need to keep playing him. Obviously, he's a wide receiver one, high-end wide receiver one if not. But there's just something about the Niners versus McVeigh that that they could stifle the offense some, and that's just something to keep in mind. So fantasy owners might not be able to expect monster days from Stafford or Cup on Monday night. Okay, that finishes off the Week 14 slate. As always, you can see all our rankings at wolfsports.com, and be sure to listen to the Wolf Sports Show for general NFL content. And that will wrap up Episode 10. Until next time, I'm Dylan Chapin, and this was the Fantasy and Larry Podcast.